Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. So, how do you create a sustainable city? Well, that's our topic for the show today. We're Dirt Radio and we're sponsored by Friends of the Earth. You can check us out at foe.org.au. I'm John Langer. So, sustainable cities, what are they and what do we need to do to get there? Heather Shearer is a research fellow in the Cities Research Institute at Griffith University and she's been investigating one particular approach, something that might be called the tiny house movement. Heather, how are you? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. No, thank you for being on Dirt Radio. Mm, great, thanks, thanks for inviting me to talk. Now, I want to start with something very basic. When we're describing a tiny house, what, do we, what would we actually see? Give us a bit of a snapshot of what a typical, if there is such a thing, a typical tiny house that, that is a question that everyone asks, which is quite a complicated question, but I'll, I'll try and explain as best possible. So there's pretty much about really just two ty- or three types of tiny house. So there's what most people see when they look up tiny houses, which is an actual little house built on a trailer base. And that type of tiny house originated in the United States in around 1998, and it was primarily built that way to because there was minimum house sizes in many in many areas. So people didn't necessarily want to build a hundred or one hundred and fifty square meter house. They just wanted a little house. Then there's the type of tiny house that is it's potentially movable. So you, something that's not on a concrete foundation. So there you would consider everything from relocatables to container houses to converted sheds, whatever. And finally, there's an actual little tiny cottage, which could be anything from a granny flat to a little stone house or, in some cases, um, little big shacks or whatever. So generally speaking, tiny houses are not considered caravans, though a lot of tiny house people live in caravans or boats or converted buses. Mm. And they're not generally considered apartments either. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a hi- bit, bit of a hybrid, I suppose you could say. I suppose, and of course, you've got the size issue too. There's also two really important things. With, well, there's quite a few really important things. One is environmental sustainability, which is an ethos which is very much foremost in the tiny house movement. And you've also got economic sustainability as well. People don't want to really have mm, to tie mm. into the great big mortgage thing as well. And design is important too. Yes. The tiny house movement was actually started by architects. Now, I've got to ask you something. You, do you, you don't live in a tiny house, do you? I live in a small house, which I share with someone else because I thought my two-bedroom house was too big. My youngest son and his wife are building themselves a tiny house. And my other son is an architect who's investigating alternative housing. So right. We've kept it in the family. It's keeping it in the, yeah, good idea. And uh, and a friend of mine might be building a tiny house in my driveway. So. 
<laughs> and uh, and uh, are you having some problems with the uh, with the council in terms of uh, you know restrictions and so on? Because one of the things you've you've talked about in the in the piece that I read was that 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 is a huge problem. It is a big problem. The biggest part of the problem is because I'm lucky enough to own my own property. Well, the bank owns most of it, but we won't mention that. I am legally entitled to build a granny flat on my property. So for me, and also I live in a, a, a local government area which is quite quite flexible with regard to alternative housing. I live in, on mm. the Gold Coast hinterland on, in the Scenic Room Council. So some local governments are really picky about yes. alternative housing. So it, 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 it's very much dependent on what local government you live in Yes, and which state you live in too. We are working to try and motivate local governments to make housing more, just open up more opportunities for alternative types and more flexible housing opportunities. So your typical... Yeah, sorry. Sorry, no, go ahead, go ahead. Now, your typical city in Australia is comprised of what is people consider horizontal sprawl, which is your detached houses, and then vertical sprawl, which I quite like that that um, name, of high-rise apartments, and neither of them are particularly sustainable. Mm. So high-rises actually per capita are more unsustainable than our detached houses. Interesting. They've got, they've got air conditioning and, and everything. Clothes have to be dried in dryers and they normally have a lot of water features and all, and there's huge amounts of embodied energy in them too. Mm-hmm. You were you were saying uh, that different states have different, of course, different regulations. You, you're in Queensland. Do you, do you feel yes. uh, Queensland is fairly open to tiny houses? Uh, I or is it, or is it particular parts of the state that are are op- more more uh, amenable to having a tiny house? It's pretty much per local government and not per um, per state. So um, it's the different local governments are different. So local governments in certain parts of the country are better than other parts. Yes. So, yes, um, it's not really per state. Some local governments in Queensland or in New South Wales or wherever are particularly good, and mm. some are quite bad. Now, <laughs> I, start, I, I started uh, the introduction by calling it, calling it a tiny house movement. Now, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but what you've uh, discovered is there's a huge, huge, huge uh, groundswell of interest in this area, why would that be the case? Primarily, there's two reasons. It's related to housing affordability issues, and it's related to environmental sustainability and the desire and a backlash against the mansion. But people want to, they don't want to have six, seven, $800,000 mortgages, so they've got to work two jobs to the rest of their lives to pay off. They want, but they want their own home. So a lot of tiny house people just want to have, a, have their mobile tiny house and rent part of someone's backyard. And that's one thing which I think local governments can become quite proactive in allowing. In, very interesting. And your research, the other thing that you've found is that the interest in tiny houses, and I found this very interesting, is uh, mainly or has been very much to do with women over 50. Yes, yes. Um, it is definitely something that is, because women over 50 are quite a... A lot of them don't have many, I mean, in the, I'm in that demographic myself, a lot of them don't have superannuation savings or through some marital breakup have not had a home or lost their home. And, and 
employers discriminate against women over 50. And if you've got a tiny house because it's mobile, you could potentially live with one of your children in their backyard but still have your own autonomy. Right. I'm, I'm thinking about this myself at this point. <laughs> you're, giving me a, you're giving me a few ideas here, uh, Heather, I have to say. Um, the other thing that's, uh, and you, you've touched on this a little bit, is a, a really big hurdle uh, against the tiny house development is inflexible planning schemes. And tell us about a, a recently published, um, uh, I guess it's, it's a, it's a sub- supplement. It's called the Tiny House Planning Resource for Australia 2017. Yes, well, the link is on my um, conversation article. I think the ABC reported it as well. Um, it, I only did the peer review, so it was actually done by a group of architects and um, planners in Brisbane, and um, they have looked at each state to see what type of tiny house they could do. Um, so, yes, it's, it's um, something that's actually it's explored a number of options, and I would actually recommend that people had a look at it. Have you, have you had much a chance to um, examine what's going on in Victoria? Victoria started the tiny house movement, so I would suggest people in Victoria have a look at the Tiny House Australia Facebook page and the Tiny House Australia Facebook group. They're incredibly active. They were the first tiny house group in Australia, and they're doing a lot of stuff that's very proactive. All the tiny house groups are fantastic, but they were the first tiny house group. Right. Not a huge expert on Victorian planning, but I'd suggest if you subscribe to their page, they would be very helpful. Very, that's really interesting. And um, uh, I, you're up in Queensland now, but just for, for me down here, is there some place where I could go in Melbourne or in Victoria to have a look at some tiny houses? I think the Victorian, if you contact the people on the Victorian Facebook page, they would be able to put you in the right direction. Okay. Well, it's look. It's called Tiny Houses Australia. All right. Well, we'll 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 check that out definitely. Look, Heather, I want to thank you very much for your time today, and it's been really interesting and a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I think we're going to have a few people investigating tiny houses. Great. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks. I appreciate you you talking to me. Thank you. That was Heather Shearer. She's a research fellow at the Cities Research Institute, and that's at Griffith University. And as you heard, she's talking about the massive increase in interest in tiny houses as part of sustainable cities. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Hi, I'm Hannah Smiley from WA. When I'm in Melbourne, I listen to 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. You can listen on your digital radio or stream it live and subscribe at 3cr.org.au. We're Dirt Radio, and uh, I'm John Langer. 
Our topic this week, sustainable cities, and who better to talk about some of the issues related to sustainable cities than Friends of the Earth's recently employed sustainable cities campaigner, Rachel Linsky. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. Thanks for having me. That's a pleasure. Sustainable cities, it's a campaign that's recently started at FAU. It's a recent initiative. Take us through some of the thinking behind that initiative. Briefly, tell us what it's about and why now. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm actually going to start with why now. I think that the um, yeah rapid growth of urbanisation and movement towards our cities has really led to a lot of people, as we just heard, with these initiatives about, yeah, how do we live in our cities? How do we interact? You know, what do we want our cities to look like? And here in Melbourne, uh, there's definitely been a lot of discussion around population growth and um yeah, the rapid um, increase that Melbourne is seeing. And this is really kind of the moment in which that could get away from us, that could just, you know, continue the the current pattern, or it could be an opportunity for us to have a bit of a think about what we want that to look like. Um, And I think, yeah, sustainability is one of those grand kind of terms that you can actually see in, um, in practice in a lot of different ways. And so it's trying to think about what are some of the ways in which we want to make sure that uh, it's moving in the right direction. And Let me just put a little little plug in here for, for the tiny house thing that we we're just hearing about. You were, you were listening to that. What, yeah. what, what was your thought about that? Yeah, I think it's uh, really interesting to see how the issues that are really pertinent, the you know, housing affordability, our engagement with uh, sustainability and having less impact on, on the world, um, on the environment, is yeah, manifesting in all sorts of ways from, yeah, tiny houses. You see, yeah, lots of movements towards, you know, bike-friendly cities and um, other issues coming up around, yeah, you know, um, urban um, farming and, you know, food production in a city and all sorts of uh, ways in which people are rethinking how we live in our cities and how we interact in our environment and urban farming that's that's something that's interesting for me too and she was our previous guest heather shearer she was talking about uh apartments being you know one of the most intensive not least sustainable ways of building housing but i've also heard that apartments are starting to use roofs and things to create gardens and those kinds of things? Yeah, there's certainly opportunities that we could be yeah, putting in policy and um, just making sure that, yeah, we're building our cities in a way that, yeah, builds that sense of community, builds, yeah, a, a way, builds in a way that has less impact on our environment. Our, my actual uh, personal kind of um, interest and mm-hmm. uh, kind of uh, way in which I've got involved in this is through transport which um, here in Victoria is the second biggest source of our greenhouse gas emissions. So from a climate change perspective and the future resilience of our city um, is obviously a really massive one to be thinking about and tackling. And um, the way in which we do that is, yeah, has to be at a a broad um, cross-city network-wide level of, you know, how how do we move around our city? How do we want to move between Mm -hmm. where we work and live and um, where our friends are, where our where we get our food from, where we exactly. yeah, get every, you know, live our lives. Now, actually, you've, you've preempted exactly where I was going to be, what I was going to ask you next, because I understand you've been following the Westgate Tunnel proposal. And over the past yep. few weeks, you've been going to some meetings, talking to some people. I want to read something back to you that you wrote 
and this is you, okay? So I have been continually shocked as I learn more about the transurban $5.5 billion mega toll road proposal for Melbourne's West, and I wanted to ask you why you were so shocked. I think it's one of these things that we're in 2017 and to, to read about a project that is looking to increase our dependence on car-based um, infrastructure is just, yeah, shocking that most other, um, you know, uh, urban cities are moving away from the, the car-based transport, particularly coming into our city centre, which is essentially where the Whiskate Tunnel would be, um, yeah, spewing a whole lot of thousands of extra cars into our congested CBD. Um, yeah, the the pollution, the environmental impacts, as well as, yeah, the, the loss of opportunity to take this moment and invest in sustainable uh, transport options um, to, yeah, really address some of, you know, there are transport issues that we do need to address, um, but is, yeah, continuing to go down the road of, or the, the road. road. <laughs> the, the road. The path of roads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. That nasty yellow brick road. Um, the um, what I was going to ask you was: uh, Did you go to some of the meetings? You, you went to some of the hearings. Yeah. So and, essentially, and you spoke to some of the community members. Yeah, I think it's um, yeah been really interesting to yeah find out more. Essentially, the project is not yet approved. It's it's been proposed to the government um, by the private. Corporation Transurban, uh, and now they're um, in the process of going through panel hearings where they assess the environmental impact of the project. And so it's been this incredible opportunity for community members, you know, residents, um, resident groups, um, environmental groups, um, all the way through to, you know, traffic experts and, um, you know, uh, health experts really uh, sharing their um concerns around the project and yeah so um i've been along and met some of these people and heard some of what they're talking about um and that wrapped up last week but it was just great to see the range and the amount of um yeah really dedicated uh um community members who were there really representing you know and and thinking bigger than it's it's not just about is it going to you know impact my backyard it's about mm, mm, is this gonna um, mm. lock the broader melbourne uh uh into yeah road-based infrastructure and forever yeah and and what are the you know um yeah. implications for the environment the and thing the other thing that i just just to sort of intervene here just this this other thing that you wrote and i i was it, it was a very interesting piece that you wrote it it sounded to me like on the one side, there was Transurban who had, you know, huge amounts of representation, huge amounts of money behind it. And then there were the community members who you thought were very strong and inspiring. But it seemed like a bit of a David and Goliath battle. Yeah, definitely. I think that it, um, yeah, it could definitely be um, that kind of anal- analogy. Although, yeah, I think that they are starting to connect the dots and and see the the broader implications and the the way in which this project actually connects different parts of our community and different parts of Melbourne um, in saying that you know this isn't the solution to um, 
to, to fixing our transport problems. Um, and, yeah, when people work together, when communities come together, that's when we see incredible change. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely not to be discredited. And it's just the beginning of that, I think. And this comes to something that's very important coming up on October the 7th, which is really, I think, the, 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 the part of it that's the inspiring part, yeah. people coming together. So tell us about this. This is Walk This Way. Yeah, so the Walk This Way um, project will be, as you said, happening on the 7th of October. It's a 15-kilometre long sponsors, sponsored walk through Melbourne. So it's uh, open to everyone for um, participating and it will just be – an incredible opportunity to, yeah, kind of build support and awareness of the Sustainable Cities campaign. And, in fact, the route that uh, it'll be starting at South Bank and kind of heading west um, to join up with the Capital City Trail. And it actually will walk through um, a, um, across Footscray Road, a site in which the this proposal will be, um, yeah, dramatically changing. Excellent. So I um, did a bit of a practice at the weekend and it was incredibly overwhelming to, to look at what is already a very large, you know, road with trucks and um, high volumes of traffic coming through and getting congested along there. And to think that they um, are proposing to um, put a, a kind of a second layer of road along there, make it into a double-decker road to absolutely, um, yeah, just further entrench the, the congestion and the traffic and the noise and the pollution and everything that is already on that road to, you know, double it just seemed just seems insane and yeah so walk this way is um for me going to be this um great opportunity to share some of um what we're going to see in the city where can, where can people find out about it that's that's important yes, yeah if you head along to walkthiswayorgau then you can find out more uh sign up join us and hopefully um, apart from seeing the the roads, we'll also get to spend a lot of time walking through some of the great um, green space and open space that Melbourne has um, and reflect on, yeah, probably parts of the city that you might spend time in often but have never looked at through mm, um, mm. or spend a significant period of time just really being present in the space. And so, yeah, it should be a great. And where can we find out about the – you said you mentioned there's a website? Or yeah, what? if you head online to walkthisway.org.au and you can find out all the information and join us there. And we'll put that on our Dirt Radio page as well. And uh, it's happening uh, October the 7th, so what, it's like a week? Two weeks, week, yeah, week yeah. A week and a bit, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, what, the way you're describing walking by those roads, probably very sobering. Uh, experience as well as the yeah. juxtaposing with the greenery and so on. Uh, sounds very interesting. Yeah, definitely. Everyone welcome. Okay. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being on Dirt Radio. I've been me, ta- John. Oh, and uh, that was Rachel Linsky. She is lead campaigner with the Sustainable Cities campaign here in Melbourne. And if you really want to make Melbourne, Melbourne claims to be the most livable city in the world. This is what local politicians love to tell us about. Walk This Way, check it out, and we'll put the details on the Dirt Radio website. We are Dirt Radio, and, well, just about out of time. We'll be back next week. We'll speak to you then. I'm John Langer.